You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We're starting a new series entitled Gospel Demonstrated. It's going to be a six-week uh, series uh, on the study on uh, the book of James. So this particular series will give us a biblical perspective of our material possessions and how we view poverty. It's also how our life of faith would uh, be affected or should manifest by ministering or having compassion to the poor. Um, all around us, we have uh, people who are afflicted, people who are oppressed, and as Christians, we are to manifest the love of Jesus to the people around us, just as the Lord has uh, ministered to us, and as the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, while he was still on earth, really uh, helped out the poor, reached out to the poor, and so do us uh, as well, as we are children of God, as we are the church, as we are uh, the body of Christ, we continue to do the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so he says uh, in the Gospels, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to restore sight to the blind and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, how many of us here know and believe that the work of Jesus continues here on earth through, through the church, right? So, so can we just give God praise because we're part of that. You are part of that. Each and every one of us is part of what uh, of God, of the work of God. So the kingdom of God continually advance through us. Gospel proclamation is just one part of what God wants to do through us. Proclamation must be partnered with demonstration. And so our series now, Gospel Demonstrated. We see this in the life of Jesus. We see this in the life of the apostles. The disciples, yes, they proclaimed the gospel. Yes, they declared about the kingdom. But together with it, they partnered it with the power of the demonstration of the gospel. And so that's what we are going to talk about in this series. How the church, you and I, we're part of the church. How the church would continue to be used by God to proclaim the gospel and to demonstrate the gospel. One of the most tangible ways that we see in the Bible, in church history, in our movement, uh, is how the gospel is demonstrated to show compassion to the poor, to the afflicted, to the oppressed. The poor really is close to the heart of God. Won't you agree? Amen? He says, to those who are outcasts, to those who are lowly, his heart is close uh, to those people. Now, this is very um, relevant to us as a nation. As I was studying to preach this first topic in our series, I looked at the, the Philippine Stati Statistics Authority, and I found out that 26%, 26% of total uh, population here in the Philippines are living below the poverty line. Now, what is the poverty line? Well, the poverty line really is the measurement used for minimum income, minimum income needed for basic needs, to, 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 to acquire basic needs, food and non-food, minimum income. Now, 26% are below the poverty line, meaning they can't even afford basic, uh, basic necessities. The 26% is translated to 30 million. Can you imagine 30 million live below the poverty line? And so, what does this concern about us? Well, the church really is an instrument of God's blessing, again, to proclaim and to demonstrate the power of the gospel. And so this is very important for us today. You see, God cares for everybody, right? He is no respecter of person, rich or poor, no partiality, no favoritism. And so we are to do the same. But in this series, in this series, we will learn more how Christian faith and how Christian living is supposed to express itself, manifest itself, and to minister to those who are poor, needy, and afflicted. We'll be studying the book of James. I said it's going to be uh, a book study on the book of James. And here we see um, 
the writer, James, really showing that the Christian life really is to be lived out, is to be expressed, not just during worship or not just during Sundays, not just during uh, church time or worship, worship time, but more so where it is needed the most, out there in the world that needs hope, that needs healing, that, that are uh, needing direction, light, light, and strength. And so we say, why James? Why the book of James? Again, because the book of James really is a, has many practical applications of the Christian faith. Faith being lived out, not on a Sunday, but on every day of our lives. In fact, James was so bold as you read the book of James. By the way, I would like to encourage you as we are going through this series, you can just go ahead and and continue to read uh, the whole book of James uh, as we go through this uh, this series. Just study that book and there you will see uh, the boldness of, of the writer even to say that true or real Christian faith produces good works. The real authentic true Christian faith would manifest itself in doing good. Now, we know that we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. You and I, we are channels of God's blessing to many other people. You are a blessing. You and I were blessed by God. Amen? Are you blessed by God? Yes, let the blessed just lift up their hands and say, Thank you, Lord. (laughs) All right, there you go. We are blessed by God for two reasons to glorify God, and to be a blessing to others. The blessings to receive, it is to glorify God and to be a blessing to others. In the book of James, we will also see these three things, how we should, one, endure hardship. Say with me, hardships. We will see how we should endure hardship, hardships, how we would handle material possessions, and how we will respond to the needy that are around us. So to start this series, we will start with week one, topic one, and we will be talking about the testing of our faith. Say with me, testing. Now, at this point, do you still want to proceed? (laughs) We'll be talking about testing of our faith. So the testing of our faith. And um, question here is, who among us here have gone through testings and trials? Yeah, I guess that's all of us, right? All of us have gone through testings and trials. Or maybe some of us are going through testings and trials right now. So all of us have gone through testings and trials. So the next question is, who among us here love or like testings and trials? That's none of us, right? I am yet to find um, a fellow believer, a brethren, a Christian, uh, and have this conversation and say, hey, how's your faith goal? What's your faith goal for this year? We're praying, praying and fasting. What's your faith goal? I have yet to find somebody to say, my faith goal is for more trials to so come to my life. <laughs> or more, more, more uh, testings to so come to my life. I, 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 haven't, I haven't encountered a person like that. And so we need to see, we all go through trials We all have gone through sufferings and hardships, and none of us would like to go through more trials. But we will study this, and we will see how how faithful God is. God is faithful even during the hard times. Amen? God is faithful during hard times, allowing us to be content and steadfast as we look to Him for provision, deliverance, and faith. And that's what, we're, that's what we want to study. That God is not just a fair-weathered God. That God is not just there during our mountaintop experiences. But God is faithful. He is there even as we walk through the deep, dark valley experiences. In good times and also on, in bad times, God will not leave us. God will not forsake us. Amen? And that is what we will be talking about. That even as we go through the toughest of times, even as we go through hardships, trials, heartbreaks, suffering, our faithful God will always be with us. Amen? And so we'll jump into our main text this afternoon. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 12. Let's all together read. Uh, you can follow along with your eyes. Verse 2 to verse 12. 
It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of different kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For this person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him let us all pray Lord God, we, we bless you, Lord, and we thank you for this wonderful time that we're gathered in your name. Thank you, Lord, that your word says that whenever we gather in your name, there you are in the midst of us. Lord, we pray that your presence will continue, Lord God, to just be felt and your embrace be, be experienced by each and every one of us. Let your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Bless our time together, Lord. Let your people be blessed and let your name be glorified. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Gospel demonstrated. At the beginning, it says, count it all joy whenever we face trials. Now, we can see three things here, what God has commanded all believers. Can I see a raise of hands? Who among us here are believers? Yeah, you and I, right? We believe. We believe in the Lord. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. We, uh, our Lord Jesus, our Lord, Savior, and King. We are believers. In the book of James, there is now an instruction uh, for each and every one of us. Three commands for all believers who are going through trials. Number one is to count it all joy. Count it all joy. Say to me, joy. Joy. Verse 2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What does this mean? What does joy mean? What is joy? Well, Joy is the feeling of great pleasure. Joy is the feeling of great happiness. A celebration. If you have joy, you celebrate. And that is really what it is. It's saying there is joy. Count it as, as joy. So I have not uh, gone through any occasion or celebration where there is no joy. There is no joy. When there is joy, there is celebration. When there is joy, there is food and festivities. And he's saying, count it as joy. Um, interesting, this word, joy. You see, for some people, uh, there are some things that you like, something that you enjoy, that other people don't. Some people, uh, they find joy in pain. They find joy in going through the gym and really lifting those weights and really being there, exercising for two hours, three hours. Right after that, they walk this way. And so you ask them, what joy is there? So there's, there's an enjoyment that, that they know that we don't know about. Uh, me personally, I like biking. And so I have uh, two kinds of bike. One is uh, a mountain bike and the other one is a fixed gear bike. If you're not familiar with a fixed gear bike, as the word says, there it is it is only it only has one gear and it's fixed. You don't shift gears. So you're using the same gear going up, you're using the same gear going down. There's no uh, cruising. Uh, it's just pedaling all the way, all the way. And so people are asking, Rain, why do you like to use this fixed gear bike? I don't understand the joy that you have using that bike. But see, there's something there that I really, really enjoy. Now, again, talking about the topic that there are some things that you enjoy and uh, that you enjoy that other people do not. Uh, take, the, take the case of um, some people find joy in cleaning the house. 
They just love cleaning the house. They just like arranging things. That's why when you leave the house in the morning, it looks a different way. When you come back, it looks a different way. Uh, Furnitures are turned around. Some people love that. Some people have joy in that. How about this? Some people love rock climbing. Not mountain climbing, but rock climbing. When they see a rock, (laughs) they want to climb it. I don't understand. Why why do you want to climb that rock? There's this certain benefit, say it we benefit, benefit that they know or they're experiencing that we are not familiar with. What is that? Now, the writer, James, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Say with me, various kinds. Many different kinds of trials. Different trial on a Monday, different trial on a Tuesday, different trial on a Wednesday, different trials on the morning, different trials on the afternoon, different trials in the, in the evening, various kinds. Have you been to EDSA? <laughs> there's various kinds of trials. Um, you know, but you know, seriously, there's, we could face financial trials, persecution of our faith, health trials, relationships, finance, business trials. The Word of God says, count it all joy. Celebrate. (laughs) Have great pleasure in it and happiness when you meet trials of various kinds. Just a while ago, I asked if who among us here have experienced trials, and that's all of us. And so my next question is, did you enjoy that? Do you enjoy uh, trials? We know trials and testings, they're not easy. Hard times, dark times, scary times. It's not easy. In, in fact, if you want to get away from it, you would. If you want to navigate around it and escape it, you would. In fact, if you summarize just a broad stroke of all our prayers, our prayer life, our request to God, we're saying, God, remove all the hardships, isn't it? Lord, remove all the unfavorable things. Remove all those things that would cause me discomfort, inconvenience. Remove all that. Lord, whatever that would cause me comfort, whatever that's convenient for me, Lord, that you bring to me. Isn't it? That's our request to God. That's our prayers to God. In general, our hearts really would like to take the easy way. But again, Scripture is saying, count it all Joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we know He went through trials. And His word to us is this in John 16, verse 33. In this world, while we are still in this world, we're here in this world, right? You're here right now? Yeah. We're all here right now. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, Jesus did not promise a trouble-free life. Jesus did not promise a storm-free life. But it's going to be storm-proof as we place our trust in Him. The question is, why? Why? Why do I need to go through trials? Can I not just live in a bubble? Can I not just live in a shielded, protected, wonderful Disneyland type of an environment? Disneyland says, right, uh, it's the happiest place on earth. Can I not just stay in that? Why do I have to go through trials? That is what we want to ask. And the Word of God answers us. In verse 3, it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, say to me, testing of faith, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces steadfastness. And so we're saying, steadfastness, what is that? That, That's strength, robustness, steadiness. Why does my faith need to be tested? For it will make me steadfast. I wish there was another way. I wish there was, I wish there was an easier way or another choice for our faith to be robust, for our faith to be steadfast, for our faith to be strengthened. I wish that there's another way, isn't it? An easier way. 
Maybe if I just do certain things or be part of the volunteer group or be active in church, I wish that would make my faith steadfast. Maybe it would, but nothing would make it more robust and steadfast than going through trials. Take the case of a boxer or maybe an an, an MMA fighter, right? Uh, Mixed martial arts. So he would go to the gym, test out his strengths, test out his skills, and really develop the skill and the talent as an MMA fighter. But how would he know if his skills are good enough? How will he know if he's competition-ready or competition-worthy? How will he know until he steps into the ring? Right? You make a boat. You're a boat maker. You make a boat in good quality boat, wonderful materials, and you know that this is seaworthy. This boat will float whatever and, and will stay afloat even with great waves. But how will you know until you bring that boat to the sea? Same as with our faith. It needs to go through testing so that it may produce steadfastness. Tested through trials. The faith of a believer, just a while ago I asked how many believers are in the house, that's all of us. The faith of a believer must be, say it be, must be, must be tested. Our faith goes through testing. I want to share a story. Before I became a pastor, before I became part of the ministry, I was a microelectronic engineer. So I worked for Amcor for quite a while. And it's a manufacturing plant, a semiconductor. So it has two areas. One is the assembly, and the other one is the test factories. We produce electronic chips. And so, of course, as we, the, the chip must go through complete assembly line. And once it is assembled, it must go through testing before we ship it to ensure the quality, say with me, quality, to ensure the quality of that, of that product. And in the test, uh, we simulate the heat test. So we subject the, the chips to certain uh, temperatures of heat and see if it still functions that uh, f- still functions good. Then we subject it to cold. There's the cold test. So freezing temperature, we want to see that, if it's still going to be okay. And then we even go, some customers would have a specification for a drop test. So we would drop it at a certain height. It drops on the left side. A certain number, right side, the top, the bottom, the front, the back, and we'll just test it that way. Based on the specification, it's, let's, let's say, 100 times or 1,000 times, and we see if, if that chip will still survive. And you know what's funny? Uh, some customers would even have a specification for a washing machine test, and uh, it should survive a s- certain number of cycles in the washing machine and see if that chip will still survive. Now, as it goes through assembly, passes through test, and that's the time we ship it. And when we ship it, we're saying that is good quality. And we have uh, a guarantee and a warranty of that chip because we're saying this chip is good for so-and-so years. It's guaranteed for five years or 10 years. Why can we say that? Because we simulate it in the test. Let's say one year, 50 drops of this device times 10 years, and so we multiply that, and so we drop it, and we see. You see, uh, the warranty really determines the quality of the product. You and I, we need to go through testing. And so to develop that quality of faith that we have inside of us, to produce steadfastness, say it me, quality, quality of faith. The church would go through so that the quality of faith would come out through testings, through trials. You know, there is a person in the Bible who embraced testings and trials, gone through testings and trials, and his name is Job. I'd like to share Job chapter 23, verse 10. And Job says, But he knows the way that I take. 
when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Now we know the life of Job. He went through trials. And this is what he is saying. When God has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Let's take gold uh, as an illustration. Let's take gold for an example. You see, gold is the most valuable metal that we have on the planet. Its application is countless. From architecture, we see gold. To art, uh, we see gold. From, to jewelry, we see gold. And even to currency. Gold has valuable applications. And in fact, it's the most valuable uh, metal uh, on the planet. But to appreciate gold, it needs to go through a certain process. When we mine gold, it's not nice and shiny. It is full of dirt and it needs to be refined. It, it needs to be purified. It goes through fire. Say me, fire. It goes through fire so that all the impurities and all the dross would be burned away, would be burned by the fire. And what would remain is pure your gold, what do you mean? Will be gold, high quality gold. And so, in short, we are saying that gold went through suffering. Gold went through suffering. You just don't mine gold and see, whoa, it's shiny, it's nice, it's, it's done, it's good. No, no, no. It has to go to, through suffering, processing, refining, purification, molding. And that's why people here on earth value gold. But you see, the values of men are different from the values of God. God has a different perspective on gold. Maybe God does not value gold as much, but what's valuable to God are our hearts. God values our hearts. And if gold needs to go through fire to be purified, to remove the dross, to remove the impurities, so are our hearts. We need to go through testing to remove all those impurities in our hearts. You and I, we know that we are work in progress. Our hearts continually need to be purified before God. Our hearts continually need to be, to be washed by the Word and sanctified by God. God is our assayer. The assayer qualifies the quality of gold. God qualifies the quality of our faith and the quality of our hearts. I'd like to share a story of a goldsmith. So there's this goldsmith renowned for producing high quality, good quality gold. And so he was interviewed. And so, uh, so the interviewer says, Hey, Mr. Goldsmith, tell me, how would you know that your gold is already good enough or high quality enough. Uh, how will you know that the process needs to end? So because he sees the goldsmith just melting gold in fire, right? And all the dross is burning. And so the goldsmith says, well, I would know if this is pure gold once I see my reflection on this gold. It's kind of like the Lord, kind of like Jesus. Once Jesus is reflected in our lives and in our hearts, then we know that our hearts have gone through purification and all the dross and impurities are taken away. Amen? And it is the Lord who will do that for us as we continue to submit to Him and have faith and count it as all joy as we go through the refining process of God. God is at work in your life. He's not yet finished with us. He's not yet finished with you yet. Amen? Going back to verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Say with me, full effect? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Again, talking about steadfastness. Steadfastness is endurance, patience, being robust, produces means is a result of trials, produces steadfastness. 
Without trials, we won't have steadfastness. Steadfastness is the ability to endure all kinds of difficulty while we are still waiting in hope and patient for God's perfect timing to come. Verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect that you, that's you and I, you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Question here, full effect? Is there like a partial effect? If we don't allow God to bring us through trials, then the Word of God says we might not receive the perfection completeness that God has for us. The dross, the impurities need to come out. It need to be purified. Pain and suffering may be real during trials, But another reality is, even if pain and trials are present, God is never absent. As we go through trials, as we go through testing, His presence will always be with us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. You see, God has a purpose for everything. He has a purpose for those trials. Sometimes we ask God, I don't know about you, but sometimes we even ask God, Lord, why me? Why do I have to go through this trial? Why do you have to go through this testing? Why me? Short of saying, why not him? Why not her? Why not other people? But you kapit bahay ko, Lord, Why me? Have you ever asked that question? Why me, Lord? Why me? But you see, God has a purpose. God does not waste a tear. God does not waste a hurt. But in every tear and every hurt that we go through, that's valuable to God. God has a purpose. God uses circumstances, events, and situations to mold us, form us, shape us to be the kind of person that God wants us to be. He uses trials. He uses difficult situations for our benefit and for His glory. God is purifying us. He is concerned with our hearts. He is removing impurities. What are the impurities of our hearts? As we go through trials, we also see idols in our hearts. Things that, that would take the place of God. And God wants to remove that. Is it comfort? Is it approval? Is it power? Is it control? What kind of idol do we have in our hearts? Is it trusting in our own abilities, capabilities? Is it trusting in our own resources? What are the idols in our hearts? As we go through trials, those idols will be exposed. And hopefully, those idols will be removed, burned away, and we will just trust God. Commandment number one in the Ten Commandments says, there are no other gods before me. There should be no other gods before me. No other gods in our heart of hearts. And that's why God needs to purify us and sanctify us. As we go through trials, number one, we count it as joy. Number two, we ask God for wisdom. Say with me, wisdom. We need to ask God for wisdom as we go through trials. Now, what is wisdom? Why do we need to ask God for wisdom? Well, wisdom is the application of knowledge. The application of knowledge. Now, what do we know about God? God is faithful. God will not leave us nor forsake us. God is good. He is in control. He is in charge. With that knowledge, how do we apply that as we go through trials? It's important that we do not be wise in our own eyes as we go through trials. But let us pray and ask the Lord for wisdom. We need to pray and seek God and ask God, Lord, give me your perspective. What is your purpose? Why am I going through this now? For God has a purpose. At the end of it all, it's really trusting and believing that He is God, that He is good, that He is in complete control of our lives. Amen? God is sovereign over the lives of His people. Can we give God praise for that? He is sovereign over our lives. Every trial that we face, everything that happens to us, He is sovereign. He is God.
Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously, say it me, generously, or abundantly, God gives to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Ask God for wisdom. The only way, the only way that we can benefit through trials is really through the wisdom of God. You see, His thoughts or God's thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. His ways much higher than our ways. We know that, right? Isaiah 55 says this, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways higher than your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than your ways and your thoughts. God has a purpose. We don't understand, but what we know that He has a purpose and that He is good. Wisdom really is necessary. As I was studying uh, for this preaching today, God reminded me of uh, an event in the Bible uh, of, of Moses and the Red Sea. Very familiar, very familiar uh, uh, story, right? Even, even as uh, a young child, we would, see, uh, we would see the movies and we will know the stories how God used Moses to uh, lead the Israelites to cross the Red Sea. Now, this is something amazing. I want to I wanna share this with you. Exodus chapter 13. You see, as God was leading, as Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, the Israelites were following a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Moses did not have GPS or ways. He does not know where to go. He was looking at the presence of God. When that cloud moved, they moved. Where that cloud turned, they turned. They followed the presence of God. And what's interesting here in Exodus chapter 13, God, through the pillar of uh, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, God led the Israelites to the Red Sea. They were led to the Red Sea. Now, if you look at the account of the Red Sea, there's uh, a mountain on the left, mountain on the right, and the Red Sea in front of them. It's a dead end. God led them to a dead end. Chapter 14, God told them to encamp. Can you imagine? God told them to encamp by the sea. And then God hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would pursue the Israelites to slaughter them and kill them. Now that's trial. That's a trial. Verse 11 of that chapter, we see the people saying, they cried out to the Lord, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness? Did you bring us out here to die? Are there not enough graves in Egypt? What have you done to us? The Israelites were asking God, what have you done to us? We're trapped. There's no way out. Verse 12 of that chapter, it is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. What's interesting here is that God led them to the, to the Red Sea. God led them to this scenario of despair. And here's the word of the Lord from Exodus 14 verse 4. He says, and once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. It's set up for the glory of God. If God has brought the Israelites to the Red Sea, then God will bring the Israelites through the Red Sea. If God has brought us to the trial, God will bring us through the trial. There's no way over it. There's no way under it. There's no way around it. The only way is to go through it with the Lord beside us, with the Lord with us, not leaving us, not forsaking us. Amen? And we know how it feels as we go through that trial. The psalmist says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As we go through trials, 
we have God on our side. He will bring us through it. Amen? Now, this is the context of the Israelites, but this could be our context right now. You and I, we simply have to go through the trials. James says, count it pure joy. God will see us through. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so we walk each step in trust, in obedience, fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ as we go through various trials. Wisdom is necessary for enduring trials. We need to see things from God's perspective. God will be glorified. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's writing the story of our lives. And in between those lines, the Lord will be glorified. Amen? Come on, can we give God praise for that? That He is sovereign over our lives. He is sovereign. James chapter 3, verse 17 says this, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I highlighted good fruits. You see, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, and here we go, patience, 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 kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Patience is also translated as long-suffering. Long-suffering is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In the book of James, in the chapter that we just read, James also has an encouragement to the lowly and a reminder to the rich. And he says, as we go through trials, let it be a reminder for the rich, and again, an encouragement to those who are suffering, to those who are oppressed. Verse 9, first to the lowly, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. God is our vindicator. God is the lifter of our heads. He will bring us out. He will see us through as we could need to Fix our eyes on Him. God gives grace to the humble. As we humble ourselves, as we cry out to God, as we acknowledge that there is nothing that I can do, nothing in my ability or capability could even change the situation. I put my trust in you. As we acknowledge the Lord, as we humble ourselves, He would give us grace. The Bible says God is able to make all grace abound so that in all things, at all times, having all that we would ever need, we will abound in every good work. An encouragement for the lowly and also a reminder to the rich. And the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, will, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. We place our trust on God and on God alone. Let the wealth and the riches that are entrusted to us, let it be used to glorify God. Let it not be a replacement for God, but let it be for the glory and honor of our Lord. James exhorts each believer both to identify with the poor and exhibit God's character in caring for the poor, not as a benefactor or a patron, but one who knows that he or she is also poor in the sight of God. And we are reminded of the, the, the Beatitudes. The first Beatitude in Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That you and I, we are also poor in the sight of God. It is a call to recognition that God's values are not those of the world. For Him, a lowly heart, a contrite spirit, is more of value than the riches that we have. 
James chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. He will receive the crown of life. Remember I told you about manufacturing, how uh, we produce something from assembly and is tested? Once a product goes through tests, it is sealed. It bears a badge. It bears a mark of good quality. It has gone through testing. It is approved. And God is giving us an approval here in saying, for when he has stood the test, he will receive a badge. He will receive a, a crown of life as we go through the test. You see, all of us go through trials. You and me have gone through trials or some of us are already going through trials right now. And as we go through trials, we also need to understand that there is a watching world out there. They know that you're a Christian. They know that you attend church. They know that you're part of victory. You say, I'm a Christian. They know that. And so as you go through trials, as we go through hardships, there, are, there is a watching world. Just to like to tell you a story, uh, I've told this before, uh, probably familiar with this, but my wife, Jenny, uh, we had um, uh, a medical crisis uh, April of 2015. She uh, suffered and survived uh, a ruptured brain aneurysm. One month in the hospital, one, one week in, 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 in uh, ICU, had brain surgery, and, and uh, we spend uh, a month in the hospital. We have a watching world, of course. We have our family, our relatives. Not all of our relatives are believers. Um, in fact, uh, in our uh, wedding, it was the first wedding, uh, it was the first Christian wedding that both family uh, attended or, or experienced. And so um, while we're with uh, family, uh, they're looking at us, they're seeing, okay, Christian, okay, pastor, ito, ito, church worker. As we are going through the trial, there's a watching world. And, you know, God is faithful. Uh, God, God, God is merciful. And so the miracle of Jenny's healing, I would say to my brother-in-law, I would say, you know what? It's really God's miracle that she's alive, that she's okay. And he wouldn't believe me because he thinks that, the language miracle is just a language that we Christians use. That's why they use miracle. But when the doctors came and the doctor said, you know what, it's a miracle. And so they believe the doctors because it's a medical person that's saying it's a miracle. After April 2015, uh, we were in recovery. And uh, December, every December of every year, we would have a family reunion. We would gather in the house of my uh, brother-in-law. Now, to give you some context, uh, uh, me and Jenny were the youngest couple in that family. Uh, I have brother-in-laws that are uh, almost same age of my parents. And we have nephews and nieces that are almost same age as us. So we're the youngest couple uh, in, that, in, that, in that group. And so December 2015, we're not able to go. Um, as we were still recovering, we're not able to go uh, visit, uh, uh, go to places. 2016 came. December again, 2016, we're still not able to go to the gatherings. Last year, December 2017, finally, we're able to visit, we're able to go and join the, the celebration uh, in that place. You need to understand that my in-laws, they're uh, well-accomplished and uh, they're, of course, more advanced in age than us. So we were really just a quiet couple in that place. Uh, but one thing that they noticed or one thing that bared a mark in their hearts, they were watching us as we went through the trials. And they said, Malakas talaga kayo sa itaas. That's their language. 2009, just a little backtrack, 2009, um, my mother-in-law passed away. I was already a pastor. And we were there in that family. And we would like to offer prayers to my, uh, uh, during that time in the wake. And, and um, my brother-in-law would say, no, 
No, no, no prayers. And so that was the environment. But something shifted. Something changed. December 2017, in that gathering, all of a sudden, my sister-in-law calls me. Let's ask Pastor Rain to pray for the food and for this gathering. All of a sudden, I found that God gave us a voice. God gave us a platform. God gave us an open door for us to testify and show forth and, and, and commu- show forth and declare the faithfulness of God. And so we prayed. We prayed. And, and from that time forward, remember my brother-in-law says, no prayers in the wake of my mother-in-law. But now he says, Pastor Rain, pray for us. They are now asking for prayers. Amen. Doors are opening. Amen. Praise God. You see, the testing, the testing of our faith allows us to testify of the faithfulness of Christ. Provides us a platform to declare the goodness of our God. Amen. Let's give God praise for that. God will be glorified. Count it as joy as we go through testing. He is God. He is good. And He is in complete control. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2 says, Looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the trials. Because of the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such hostility so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we bless you. We worship you. We thank you that you are God. You are good. You are in complete control. Our lives are in your hands, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you are in charge, that you are merciful, Lord. Lord, as we go through trials of various kinds, Lord, allow us, Lord God, to fix our eyes on you, to focus on you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are doing, cert- doing something, that you have a purpose. Lord, we pray. Lord, we submit our hearts to you, Lord God. Lord, have your way in us. May your name be glorified in the lives that we live. Even as we go through trials, your name be magnified, Lord. This life is yours. You are our God. We are your people. Lord, we give you glory. We thank you, Lord God, for you are at work in us. Lord, I pray for those who are going through problems, going through hardships, going through trials right now. May your grace be upon them, Lord. May you be with them, Lord God. uh, 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 Financial problems, relational problems, health problems. Lord, thank you that your name will be glorified. For you are able to make all things work together for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, thank you. Have your way in us, Lord God. We place our trust on you and on you alone. Lord, you are God and nothing is impossible for you. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for the grace. Thank you for the strength. Thank you that you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. We give you all the glory now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.